about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish defeated their hated rival, the Southern California Trojans, 30-27 to on Saturday, retaining the jeweled shillelagh, our most prized possession. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the game? Feel great. Uh, I, I really, really dislike USC. Um, as we discussed last week, I, they are probably my most hated rival. Although Michigan is definitely a close second, just touching on everything we spoke about before. But yeah, um, frustrating ending to the game. However, uh, you know, the fact remains that we did put them away and win the, the football game and, uh, you know, title hope still alive. So all things considered, pretty fired up. How about yourself? Pretty good. Uh, I think that's the best way to look at it. You know, we notched a win or notched another something in the win column. Um, overall, there was lots of things to take away from that game, good and bad. But at the end of the day, we beat a rival. Um, that's always good. I always find the games that we're supposed to win when we blow them out is much more satisfying to me than like mm-hmm. the, these tight nail biters. Like I didn't quite fully enjoy this one. Same thing with last year. It was more of a relief by the end of the game. But it's three three wins in a row now. Brian Kelly moves to seven and three against the Trojans, uh, which is, I believe, a hallmark of success for coaching is beating your rivals. Um, so that's that's good for them. Uh, we're starting to regain dominance in this rivalry, uh, which is, of course, very important to our fans. So overall, I'll just kind of run through some of the box scores um, to kind of recap the game, and then we'll uh, we'll get a little more into it. So. Um, in ter- terms of total yardage, it was quite even throughout the game. USC had 426, Notre Dame had 473. Um, 165 of those yards came for Notre Dame through the air versus 308 yards rushing, as opposed to USC, who had a little more of a balanced attack. They had 255 yards in the air and 171 on the ground. Um, in terms of yards per attempt thrown, uh, USC averaged 7.3 versus Notre Dame's 5.2. And in terms of uh, rushing yards per or yards per rush, um, USC averaged 4.9 and Notre Dame averaged 6.4. I think that's kind of significant because our guest last week, Evan, had predicted that Notre Dame would kind of average between 6 and 7 yards per carry. Um, so that's good on him. So shout out to our friend Evan. Um, penalty yardage. Notre Dame, there, I know people made a big stink about the referees, um, but Notre Dame was penalized more than USC. Um, there obviously was that that you know questionable roughing the passer call at the end of the game on Ian Book. Um, but overall, Notre Dame was penalized more. Neither team had a turnover, um, which was it made the game really compelling um, because usually turnovers are kind of what wins or loses a game for some teams. Um, in terms of first down yardage or uh, first downs, both teams got 25 uh, first downs, so quite even there. Um, something to really talk about because we've chatted about this throughout the season so far is third down um, success rates. So in that game, USC had a success rate of 42%. 
on third down. Um, Notre Dame had a success rate of 53% on third down. Um, this is really, really good. So to give you a frame of reference, um, the number one team in college football right now in terms of um, third down success rate throughout the first you know, six, seven games of the season is at 56%. Um, Notre Dame has now jumped up to 48th in the country. We're now 42.3% overall. And we had talked about this earlier in the season being uh, an area to improve on. So it's good to see in the last few games Notre Dame uh, doing significantly better on third down. Um, that's really encouraging because that could also make or break a game. Um, Notre Dame actually outpossessed USC. I think that's the first time we outpossessed a team this year. Um, that's largely due with the running game, which we really hammered. And um, I'd also like to bring up something, too, that we never really talked about is win probability. Um, ESPN has this thing where throughout the game, they calculate the win probability for a team. So at the start of the game, Notre Dame was an 82.9% chance to win the game. Really high. Um, the lowest it got at all was 64.3% chance of winning the game, which, again, is still favorable for Notre Dame. That was, uh, I think, near the end of the first quarter. And then at half, Notre Dame was 95% to win. Um, so, Steve, I'm going to let you give us uh, your thoughts on the game in particular, um, if there's anything else you want to talk about there. Uh, yeah, thank you. Let me just adjust something here. Sorry for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great overall win. Uh, I think we, we definitely underestimated uh, USC a little bit. Pretty, pretty guilty on that front. Um, so they played well. I mean, I, I thought, you know, they, especially that once word came out literally immediately after we stopped recording last week, like within five minutes, we see that, uh, that their, their true freshman Keaton Slovis, uh, it was going to be starting and I didn't know anything about him. I just, I, from my, my knowledge, he was like a third or fourth stringer and his name was Keaton. So, uh, I thought that they didn't stand a chance in hell. But yeah, you gotta give it to him. I mean, his his first half was kind of trash. His second half, they they picked it back up, and I think that's the overarching theme that I wanted to touch upon. Which this is two years in a row that we had basically opened up the floodgates on USC and kind of <clears throat> let them back in, and we were able to stave them off at the end, which is great. You know, obviously, anytime you you have a win, whether it's by one point or a thousand, it's a win's a win. Um, so. Thankfully, we were able to have a very mature and and calm drive with Ian Book at the end. Even though Ian, it wasn't his greatest game, but by no means his worst. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the most concerning part was basically not stepping on their throats when when we could have. Uh, but there's uh, there's there's some guys that definitely could step their game up, and there's some guys that really came to to ball out, and and that I think we can probably touch on that a little bit. Uh, in, in the uh, the four horsemen, but um, but anytime you have 300 rushing yards in a game is is also a sign of just total uh, total dominance at the line of scrimmage. And it would be nice even if we had a literally one half of that against an elite team like Georgia or Clemson or Bama. If we could put up 150 rushing yards against uh, against a top six opponent, basically a playoff caliber opponent. Uh, I think that goes a long way in us basically being uh, call what it is a national champion. So because that's that's the ultimate goal for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So um, yeah, I'm scatterbrained as usual with my with my opening comments because I there's so much I want to get to, but so much we will get to in time. But all all things considered, 
Um, satisfied with the win. Not exactly thrilled with the second half performance and uh, some of the play calling, especially the reverse to Fink on third down. But we executed we uh, and, and we won. So that's what matters. Yeah, well said. Um, that's a good way to look at it. Um, personally, I think we should have blew them out. There was a real moment in that game. I mean, I had sent it into the, our group chat. I had tweeted it, saying I something saw. along the lines of, if we get a stop and we score, this game is over. Um, because going in halftime, it was, what, 20 to 6? Maybe 20, 20 to 3. Um, once Notre Dame had gotten on that roll in the second quarter where it was the defense was shutting them down and then the offense was just having their way with them, it felt like it was going to be a, a recap of the 2017 game at Notre Dame where uh, they blew out Sam Darnold's USC. And it, I'm almost disappointed it didn't go that way. Because I do think USC is a good team. Um, I think they can still win the Pac-12 South, and then by default they could still win the Pac-12. And blowing them out would have looked amazing. Um, especially where now they're a 3-3 three and three team. That win doesn't look impressive. And it won't look impressive probably until another three or four weeks. Um, just the way the, the record is now for the Trojans. Um, and it was a che- it was an opportunity really to make a statement win against a rival at home, you know, with the green out. Um, and it didn't materialize, and that's a little unfortunate because we had our foot to their throat, and we just did not kill them off, right? There was two drives I can think of: one to end the quarter, or to end the second quarter, to end the half. The old, you know, they called the Billichek two for one, um, where Notre Dame had a chance, and I think they settled for a field goal, which we'll get into. And then at the start of the third quarter, when they get the ball, um, they end up settling for a field goal again. And had either of those, I think, go for a touchdown, I don't know if that game is even reachable in the minds of the Trojans players being down like, you know, 24 to 3. That that seems, I think, a little more significant. Um, and then the third quarter, I don't really know what happened. It was just really awful to watch um, as USC kind of clawed their way back into it. But credit to uh, the Trojans. they They put up a good fight. Um, I don't think the game was necessarily ever as close as it seemed until USC had scored about halfway through the fourth. And then, you know, Ian Book closes out the game, uh, which is another thing we'll get into. Um, I think that was the only time really the game was ever in question, the only time I was nervous personally. But you look at the end of the day, it's a win over the over the hated rivals. Um, USC, Notre Dame, you know, it kind of echoes what college football is all about. Even when one of those programs is not quite where they should be uh, in USC, they'll they'll get there. But at the end of the day, it was a really big win, um, and, and we move on. And that's that's the the message here is we have a bye week coming up, and then we get back into it with another big rival. And I don't believe we've ever played our rivals in back-to-back games before. So it's good to get the rest in to prepare um, for the program that I don't even want to say their name. And uh, and I think that's it. So, do you have any kind of last thoughts on USC? Uh, holy shit! That kid Marquis Step, who was a very very big target for Notre Dame and very close to committing to Notre Dame no, two no, years he, ago. He, he did commit to Notre Dame. Did he He's commit to Notre Dame? He's an Indiana player who committed. I think he was our first commit in the class, and he had mm-hmm. recruited for Notre Dame. He was actually yeah. one of our best recruiters. And then near the end of the uh, the cycle, he had he had withdrawn his commitment and he went to USC. So yeah. I mean, he had a hell of a game, but I hate him. You know, he's kind of a a traitor to the to the family. 
Yeah, no, he he's a piece of shit for what he did. Um, and, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, yeah, he's I mean that's kid, true. You know? <laughs> because I, at at the end of the day, I do support players' rights. You know, to and, and especially the free movement of players. I think that's definitely something that we could talk for hours about with with college football. But that's not the focus of today's podcast. Um, okay, so I retract that statement, but. You know, screw Marquis step for going to a rival. Well, let's agree on that. Uh, but but holy shit, is he talented? I mean, he was at literally at some point dragging players uh, down the field, and he only carried the ball ten times. But uh, he he's talented, so that's something worth noting in the future. Is that kid is going to be uh, basically a problem for us to play? And it would have been nice to have him on our roster because. Uh, in games where Tony Jones is, you know, we, we know he's a very hot or cold player today where Saturday he was hot. So awesome for Tony Jones. And we'll, I'm, I'm sure he'll be one of our horsemen. Um, but yeah, it, it would be nice to have a little bit of running back depth with a red shirted freshman like that kid. But I mean, we still have some great guys uh, on the roster like Jameer Smith, uh, Saborius from Lister. Um, but but damn, I, I'm kind of looking at him with uh, with eyes thinking, you know, what if? And, and same goes for Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, who had over 100 yards and a touchdown. So the St. Brown family, oh, man, man, oh, man, what our offense would have looked like with him and Chase Claypool. <laughs> so, oh, God, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, USC's down, but they're talented, and, and they'll they'll jump back up. And I hope they do just for the sake of it being, uh, um, you know, a continued meaningful and storied rivalry, but I hope we beat them every single year. Uh, oh, so that's, say it that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically, and that's the, kind of how I feel about uh, the, the other team that we're playing in, uh, in two weeks, two Saturdays <laughs> from now. Uh, I hope that they are a relatively successful program, but every time we play them, we beat them just yeah. because I disagree on that one. I, I am totally okay with you. USC being historic and competing for titles if they lose to us every year, because that's really what the rivalry's always been. Notre Dame USC had so many years where they would, the winner of that game would won the national championship, or they would upset each other. But the other team, I hate those scumbags so much that I hope that they just go nine, three and nine forever. Just, <laughs> I, it's irrational. I know that's not everybody, but I think you bring up a good point there. Um, and USC is going to bounce back. I know you were pretty impressed with them overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, at the end of the day, you know, we, we definitely, uh, at the beginning of the year, we said they might not have a win coming in here. So they've, they've showed some grit, uh, coming in at three and two. And obviously we send them away three and three, thankfully. Um, but it, it's hard to see that game and, uh, and, and not think that this team is, is going to come back around, uh, USC usually does. So, um, I mean, good game by them. I, I despise them as a program, but you have to give credit where credit's due. Um, yeah, but again, this this did feel like a 14-point Irish victory uh, that, that we should have had. So that's, uh, I, I suppose, my closing thoughts and everything in regards to do with um, that overrated school from that completely shitty and hellhole city of Los Angeles. And and that's, uh, I, I just want to put them in my rear view and not think about them until next November. Is it? Yes. Yeah. So next November. So that, that's when we'll deal with them. Uh, so did, did you want to get into any segments or was there any other thoughts you had before we got into them? Sure. One thing is for all of our listeners in both Southern California and Los Angeles, we love you. Steve didn't mean that. Um, don't leave. Go us. Boston. Fuck LA. 
I, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I do agree. But um, yeah, no, we we love our listeners from everywhere. Um, <laughs> um, I do want to get into something. We were supposed to be joined uh, tonight by uh, a good friend of the show, someone who's been supporting us ever since we started up. Um, I'm sure many of you guys follow him on Twitter, uh, Michael, obviously at m uh, yeah at m j p a l k twenty one. Um, he's active on Notre Dame Twitter, um, just an on all around great guy. Um, he couldn't be with us this evening because, um, his daughter had a softball game to go to. So I hope her team wins and he has a good time there. Um, but he, uh, sent, uh, a message of things he'd like to share about the game that I just kind of like to echo to you guys since he couldn't uh, be here to, uh, to say it himself. So, um, he had an issue, I think, uh, with Chris Fink, uh, again, um, he continues to make, uh, mistakes, um, specifically that he slowed down on the first uh, on the first down attempt or trying to get the first down, he had slowed down, which ended up costing us there. Um, perhaps he's afraid to get hit. Do you think that might be a thing with Chris Fink? Possibly. Um, I, I think he, he uh, that had less to do with trying to take a hit and more to do with third down desperation. You, you know, you get this first down, you, you, you continuing to run out the clock and basically, I mean, we are so efficient in the end zone, in the red zone. I, I, we have not literally had a, a single red zone missed attempts this year. I think we're wet at this point, like 20 for 20, 21 for 21, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think uh, at, at that point, it's more so paralysis by analysis where, uh, he's coming around the edge. He sees one guy blow up the play. So he goes out wide. And at that point, uh, yeah, he hesitates just one second in his mind because he's like, how can I extend this play and get to the first down marker? That's, that's my thoughts on it. Perhaps he is afraid to get hit. I will give Chris Fink props. And mind you, he had five catches for 45 yards. That play, we're talking about that. And it's actually a passing play where he lost three or four yards. Uh, so, so really, he had basically four catches for about 50 yards, which is somewhat productive. Uh, you know, and, and he did uh, have a really, really, really good uh, block all the way down the, the sideline, basically to the end zone when Braden Lindsay had his end-around play. Mm-hmm. Um again which we will get into later so i did want to give a fink a shout out for making for having somewhat productive numbers and for having uh that really important block on that particular play but i think any criticism of him is definitely valid because uh it's he's our x receiver or y receiver whoever's the number two basically and and there should be more production and more consistency yeah um i think that's really well said um especially considering it's his ninth year at Notre Dame. Um, I'd like to see a little more out of, of Chris Fink. Um, just heads up to our listeners that every now and then we will experience technical difficulties, so I'm sorry if some audio comes in uh, a little choppy, but I think the point gets made, and as long as it's somewhat coherent, we'll uh, we'll keep it in the podcast. Um, something else that uh, Michael wanted to talk about was um, Michael Young dropping the ball on the, on the kick return. Oh. Um, cost us four points. I'm glad he brought that up because it was something that was just brutal. I mean, that that kills the game. That kind of kept it around, too, because I think that's that was the kickoff. Oh, it was of the half, open the correct? second half, yes. Right, so we end up settling for a full field goal there. I mean, if he scores that, could you imagine being down 27 at that point, to 27 three. to 3? Like, yeah. I don't think they sur- – I don't think that's surmountable. Um so I, I think if, uh, if, if he returns that for a touchdown to open up the second half, we go up 23-3. 27 to three, sorry. And at that point, 
um, yeah, that game's looking more like a like a forty-two to ten or <laughs> blowout. <laughs> like, so I, but he he just dropped the football, uh, which is almost inexcusable, uh, especially when he he wasn't touched. He just dropped it. So, a uh, very unfortunate moment for Michael Young. I still think he's a promising uh, player and a hell of a talented guy, but you can't just drop the ball, man. <laughs> you can't just cause your own fumbles. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think he'll learn from that, though. He seems to have a lot of talent returning the ball. Um, so hopefully he gets another opportunity, too. I know Kelly went right back with him. So I think uh, overall it's a learning experience. It's one that, unfortunately for us, didn't cost us. Um, but it's uh, something that will obviously need to be corrected moving forward. Um, another thing Michael brought up um, is a comparison between Tony Jones Jr. and Jerome Bettis. Um, not just because of number six, but the way um, they run and they and they take the contact and keep going. Um, I never watched the bus. That was a little bit before my time. But you're a Steelers fan, so I imagine you've seen some Jerome Bettis in your lifetime. What do you think of that comparison? Um, I mean, I, I don't. We, I think we shouldn't get too far out ahead of our skis, just because we are talking about a Hall of Fame uh, running back in the NFL. I mean, the bus would literally run people over i mean he would carry guys you know three four players for like six seven yards extra after contact uh now tony jones he did a a great job of kind of bouncing off guys he was like a pinball at certain points of the game um i think i'm gonna need to see a bigger sample size because at the end of the day um he he's been a complimentary back up until this year until now he's the feature back so i'm not discounting it uh, I think there's there's flashes of that. I, I'd like to see more consistency in a higher sample size. Yeah, I think um, I understand the comparison in terms of the big brooding runner. Um, I just don't know if he's on that scale yet. Um, I think he, like you said, he's a he's a compliment back, and I think he would work best um, with a, a very high skilled running back, a very fast um, running back to to compliment. Um, I think that would be very good for our run offense. Um, but I think it's an interesting one to make because um, he is obviously a very big, tough guy, and he was fantastic for us uh, in the game. And he has been, really, ever since um, Jafar Armstrong got injured. Um, another thing that mentioned, too, um, he uh, the when Brian Kelly was on, <laughs> on the field for the hands team, uh, he thought that was pretty awesome, and I got to agree. <laughs> I mean, it almost cost us an onside kick there. Um, but, you know, he's on the field, he's passionate, um, he's telling everyone everyone where to go because USC did that little trickery like they're playing peewee. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I agree there. Um, it was pretty cool to see, as, as long as it wasn't called. <laughs> um, I know the USC fans will be moaning about that for a decade. Your thoughts? They literally pushed a guy into the end zone. They have no grounds to speak upon. <laughs> Yikes. Again, that game was before my time, so it doesn't hurt me as much as it does you, and I imagine most of our listeners. But, I, I uh, literally have PTSD from that. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. I think we should get into our four horsemen, um, and I we haven't discussed them privately, so we could have the same ones. Um, I'll let you go first. Uh, tell us who you got. Well, the, the obvious here is Tony Jones. So he did have... Uh, I think 25 carries ended up with a 176 yards. Didn't get into the end zone, but he got us. Uh, he was dominating basically between the 20s. Um, so, so that was a great day of work for him with a seven yards per carry 
average. Uh, so he actually had a, a higher average uh, than Ian Book had completion uh, yards per completion. So, and and that's not a knock on Ian. I mean, Ian played the game that he needed to, and and he got the job done. Uh, I don't think it was Ian's uh, magnum opus, so to speak, but he played uh, you know well enough to have us obviously win. But Tony was was lights out, and and the hog mollies in front of him were clearing the one hell of a path. So shout out to the offensive line for helping him get uh, those ridiculous stats. Uh, my next two are going to be uh, our linebacker in core. Uh, so Amar Belisle, he had 11 tackles, eight solo, two tackles for a loss all over the field, leading the team in tackles. He just at, at this point is really settling in and seems to be everywhere at that Rover role. Actually, no, that's that's Wu is at the Rover. So he's he's at the buck. I do apologize for misspeaking there. But he's yeah, he, at, on the inside, he is he's making all of the plays all over the field. And, uh, you know, what a what a way he's come. <clears throat> Next up would actually be Wu, so Jeremiah uh, Owusu Koromoa. See, he had seven tackles, five uh, solo, one tackle for a loss, and a sack. And his sack was so pure. It was at the very beginning of the game on the first drive. He came around the edge untouched and absolutely planted Slovis. So, one hell of a shot he got on him, and and uh, one hell of a game as well. And the last, um, this might be out of the ordinary, or out of the box, and this was. Definitely a surprise for me. Uh, so the, the the fourth horseman, and I think the most important horseman on the night, was Jonathan Dorr, the place kicker. So he uh, was three for three on extra points, uh, but more importantly, three for three on field goals. And Dorr, uh, it's his first year as a starter on the field. Is is he like a redshirt sophomore, I believe? Yeah, that sounds about right, because he was, he was there last year. So he yeah. has... At least two years, um, if not three. So he's either a sophomore or a junior, and, and you might throw a red shirt in there uh, at, at the very least. So Because um, he was behind Yoon for some time. But field goals of 45 yards to end the first half, 52 yards to open up the second half, and then 43 yards relatively late in the game. Basically, you know, again, building more distance, and, and we ended up winning by three. Uh, so it, he ended up being the difference maker and he was uh, very shaky in camp. He almost lost his job to like a, a walk on freshman or preferred walk on or whatever that may be. So for him to come out and when the lights were shining the brightest to, to nail three field goals with ease and, and flawlessly, that's a great performance by a guy who just did his job and, and great job, Jonathan Dar. We are, we are officially big fans of you going forward. Well said. Um, I don't know if this is a first in our podcast history, but we have actually the same four horsemen. Um, oh, wow. Different order for me, but the same people. I had Awusu Kamora four, uh, Bilal three, Tony Jones Jr. two, and I went with door number one. Um, the simple reason is I hate when people go back in history and like to pick apart what if this and if that happened and blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is, if he doesn't hit a 52-yard field goal to start the third quarter, we don't win that game. It's simple as that, right? Or we, we go to overtime, sorry. We, we would probably still win the game. Um, but that's, that is the ultimate point differential was three. It came from those three points. I know we could do that for anything. Well, what about the other kicks and what about the touchdowns and what about penalty calls? But when it's a 52-yard field goal 
You've been a backup kicker who struggled on kickoffs last season. Um, you're at Notre Dame. You're playing the rival. It's cold. It's at night. The crowd it's is windy. electric. It's windy, especially in that uh, in that quarter. And you kick a 52-yard field goal to really ultimately put Notre Dame on top. Um, it reminded me of uh, a kick Kyle Brinza did, I think, when he was a freshman or a sophomore, I think against maybe even Southern Cal, too. Um, it was just really ballsy. He had lots of legs on it. Um, just shout out to him all around, I thought. Um, that moment was the decisive moment in the end, uh, just because of how hard it is to hit a 52-yard field goal, even for the professionals. So shout out to our our kicker. I thought he was excellent. Um Moving on to our favorite segment, Juice in My Nuts. Steve, the person who coined the term, <laughs> it's going to make us a lot of money off of it. <laughs> who um, was your moment? Yeah, so um, wasn't a particular scoring play or, or anything uh, usually that we would go after. Again, this I, I think is a little bit more unorthodox because we ended up giving a first down, get, giving up a first down on the play. So Amon Ra, St. Brown caught a, a slant over the middle. He turns up field and Kyle Hamilton absolutely murdered him. I mean, he destroyed him. And on top of being of Hamilton being you know, everyone talking about how he is just an absolute center fielder, sideline to sideline, and that guy, that kid can just pick anybody off on any play if you throw it deep. That kid can tackle in the open field, and he laid the friggin' boomstick on St. Brown, and that's really what put the most juice in my nuts because I was like, wow, like these guys, you know, quote unquote, let's embrace the suck as wide receivers from wh- whatever that loser's name is on USC. Yeah, embrace the suck after getting hit by a freight train, buddy. Uh, so, so that was the that's what really juiced me up the nut uh, the, the the most. Um, at, at, is, is Hamilton's hit? I believe. That was either in the third or or in the fourth quarter. So, uh, yeah. How about how about yourself? What juiced you up? Um, I went with the Ian Book go ahead touchdown to seal the game. Um, for me, Ian Book was not a horseman, but he played a game that was very solid, especially on that last drive. Because yes. I don't know about you, but that was the first time I got nervous watching the game. Really, was when we were defending. Uh, what was it, a three-point lead? Yeah. And we have, you know, six minutes left in the fourth to kill. And it reminded me a lot of 2012 where Notre Dame would, like, kind of kill five minutes running the ball to win, you know, 29 or 2019 against Purdue on a field goal, like something ridiculous, um, where you would need to basically kill the clock to win the game. And um, with Ian Book, I thought he had played his best football of the game. Um, he had a lot of – he had a few good plays on that on that drive, but just – well, that was the drive with the with the uh, roughing the passer, correct? I believe that is correct. Yes, yes, it was because that was third down and he threw the ball away, but it was roughing the passer that kept everything alive. Right. So, I mean, a shout out goes to, I suppose, that USC defender or the referee, whatever, to kind of keep that alive. Um, but there was enough plays made to really kill the game. And it's just that... It's the Ian Book takes out of the pocket. He uses that weapon he has, which he doesn't use enough in his legs, and he scores the he scores the touchdown, which de facto ends the game. Like that, the game was over. It was ten points. There's about maybe two minutes left. The game was over. At this point, I was just worrying about covering the spread, 
but the game itself was done. Um, it was it was just a really great drive. It really put the juice in my nuts because it meant we beat the Trojans, which of course is the game. That's what we want to do every year: is beat the Trojans. So yeah. that was it for me. Um, our uh, supposed to be guest Michael, um, who will hopefully get on the show sometime, um, wanted to say that the Brendan Lindsay uh, touchdown was his juice in the nuts moment. Um, 100% agree with that as a valid answer. It was unbelievable to see the Oregon kid just take off and kind of started to play slow too. Like he kind of like almost deked out the defender. He kind of, yeah, you know, he started him. Yeah. He stuttered him and then he just boom gone. Nobody's touching him. And, uh, there was a huge block from Chris Fink, like you had said earlier. So I think that's another excellent one. Um, for the listeners at home, tweet us at horseman pod with your juice in my nuts moment. Um, we'd love to hear it because it's so different for so many people and the way we interpret the game uh, is kind of the the beauty of it. Um, anything else to say or shall we move on? No, I think that's entirely valid. Uh, the book play was awesome, uh, kind of rem- uh, remnant of our, rem- you know the Northwestern game last year because remember he did pull uh, pull a keeper and go all the way to basically close it. So it was very similar to that in nature. And, and Braden Lindsay from Tigard, Oregon, uh, holy shit, that kid can fly. Uh, true freshman, and I'm sorry, uh, redshirted freshman. He was on campus last year, but redshirted. Um, he, he's, he's uh, the, the future is so bright at our skill positions. And uh, I guess one last closing point before we did move on, because I don't think we carved out any time for this. Speaking of skill players, we did pick up two huge commitments uh, and we picked them up from very interesting areas of the of the country geographically. So we picked up uh, two four-star wide receivers, both within the top 100 from ESPN. Uh, one of them from Athens, Georgia, for the other from Columbus, Ohio. Let me know if you've heard of schools from those two cities. So <laughs> the fact that we're picking up um, top-tier uh, players, and we already have Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson, two five-star guys coming in next year, uh, the, the pipeline is definitely being built uh, f- for us to have some some truly baller guys uh along with the offensive line we have along with the the tight you know the fact that we're a tight end university and we have uh you know quarterbacks literally just pouring out of our pockets at this point from our our pipeline uh it's a very exciting future for the irish offense in my mind yeah no it's it's a really bright future this team has i think we're just about to hit our peak actually in the kelly era um, I don't know if he'll stay around. Obviously, he's been here for so long, but I, I, I'm very excited for what the next, you know, three to five years have for us. I, I have to think we're going to be in a title game or at least in the playoff, um, whether that be this year or in the future. I, I think we're going to be that perennial team like Oklahoma, like Ohio State, like Georgia, who's always in and around that conversation. Um, so speaking of the current reality that we're in, not just the near future, but the present future if that makes any sense at all it does in a way yes uh let's look at the opponents um at first hand it seemed like a really really rough week for notre dame and you guys all know why um upon deeper look it's actually shaping up to be a decent schedule um and we'll get into that as we go but there's no uh no way around it we're gonna have to just kind of jump into the good the bad and the ugly um, so I'll do it as the games that occurred. So New Mexico lost to Colorado State. 
Um, they're now two and four. Who cares? New Mexico was never going to be a resume team. Um, then came the first big kick in the nuts, really. Uh, Virginia lost to Miami 17 to nine. The Cavaliers now go four and two on the season. They're second in the coastal and um, that sh- they should be favored betting wise to win the rest of their games. Does that mean they'll win out? No, but I think nine to 10 wins is still very possible for Virginia. Um, and I don't think this loss is a, is a be all end all for them or for us. Plus, losing on the road in Miami is an understandable game in a, in a defensive game anyway. So, tough one, but, you know, we move on. Um, Bowling Green with the upset from the top rope. I don't know where that came from, but they beat Toledo 20-7. to uh, They were huge underdogs, and they win that one. Uh, they go to 2-4. and four. Again, though, like New Mexico, Bowling Green isn't a team that we really care about. Um, and then comes the one that hurts the most. Um... Georgia losing to South Carolina at home in double overtime. The Bulldogs now go to five and one on the season. Um, Steve, I'll let you jump in here with your thoughts on the Georgia Bulldogs. You sons of bitches. You had one job. You had one job. And and Spurrier, no, not Spurrier, whoever the fuck their coach is. Like, South Carolina was trying to give that game away. Like, all you had to do was just not have awful play calling and just, like, Dylan, this just proves you so correct, my friend. You're so knowledgeable about the game, and, and it's actual tangible proof. They would literally run on first down, run on second down, try to pass on third down, and just like hope that the formula worked for them. It's not 1977 anymore. That's not exactly how it works. You can't have two yards of ru- per rush on first and second down, and then third and sixth think that every single time you're just going to make it down the field. Not going to happen. So that's why they were just struggling so much on offense because they were so insistent on running on first and second down, wouldn't adapt, wouldn't get the ball downfield. They kept throwing underneath. Um, They bottled up their own star quarterback who is like potentially a top 10 NFL pick, like let him out there and let him fly. Like, why couldn't they have this play calling against us in Notre Dame? (laughs) <laughs> when, like what the what the hell like I'm trying to like not go off the the cuff here and and, and swear like an animal but like you had one job which was to be a, a perennial seven and five football team and you couldn't handle that you worthless sacks of Georgian shit <laughs> I think we have some Georgia fans who might be listening to our podcast so we're just overreacting we love you please don't leave us um <laughs> It, it was a tough one. I mean, we had called it earlier after the Georgia game that I said if, if I was a Bulldogs fan, I'd be worried about the way they don't use Fromm. Um, I didn't watch the game. I don't know how bad everybody was. It was All bad. I know is it's a rough loss, and especially Blankership, you know, the guy with the, the glasses looked like Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> one, of the, one of the best kickers in college football, and he just botched it in overtime. It was awful horrendous to watch i did catch the overtime um but we'll talk more about what that means because basically the notre dame fan base being the absolute intolerable people that they are sometimes just assume this is it for notre dame like if georgia loses one game it's over because 
you know, of course, if Georgia goes like 11 and one and wins the SEC, that still doesn't look good. Like it's just it's so short sighted, very narrow mindset. Um, But we'll get into that in a minute. Um, Moving on to Illinois and, you know, I'm going to have to spit my mouth out after I say this, but really Michigan. Yeah, (laughs) really, really quick, just to touch on what you just said uh, about uh, Georgia uh, going 11 and one and winning the SEC. Um, if Notre Dame had played a, a game last year against Ohio State and we lost by three points, uh, would you say that would have been a good loss last year? Yes, absolutely. Especially on the road in Columbus? Yes, oh, I think we can agree about that. And then Ohio State proceeded to get blown out by Purdue, and Ohio State was still a top 10 program had, and, and would barely miss the playoffs regardless of getting blown out by like a six and six football team. Like they get beat by like 25 points on the road. So uh, as much as I'm, I'm pissed off at Georgia for losing that game and, and making us look bad in the present, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to go 11 one. Florida is, is uh, very bad on offense, great defense, but very bad on offense. So Georgia should win out. Uh, they they should be eleven and one playing in the SEC championship game. So I just wanted to interject and say like I'm not. It's not the end of the world. The like the sky is not falling. It's just frustrating because now we have to deal with just a little extra stress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, college football fans are so short sighted. It, it's every year. You that's the perfect analogy was the Ohio State game. Like they lose to Purdue. You know, imagine if had we lost to Ohio State before they lost to Purdue, and then they lose to Purdue, right? It would look so bad. Our fan base would melt down like they are now. But when Ohio State finishes the season, you know, twelve and one, that looks like a great loss. So what I'm trying to say here is the difference between you know thirteen and zero and twelve and one, not that big of a deal. And then again, even if Georgia loses along the lines, we'll get into this. Um, it's still a quality loss. You went into Athens, you lost a good game. There will be teams that lose to worse teams. You know what I mean? Like you could see Ohio State dropping to Purdue or Oklahoma dropping to Iowa state you know it's possible um just don't freak out after one game is what i would say to you um and to the bulldogs fans if there's any out there um your season's still alive uh you the path is obvious you guys know what you know win the sec east win the sec and then you're in the playoff uh but moving on to illinois and that other team i don't want to say again um itchigan Michigan won 42 to 25. They go to five and one now. They play Penn State in what is college game day. Um, it was a really tight game, actually. They blew it. They were up like 28 nothing, and then the game was really, really tight uh, in the fourth quarter. And then um, Illinois got blown out in the end. Um, another one to look out for: um, Duke. Duke beat Georgia Tech 41 to 23. Duke now goes to four and two, and they're first in the coastal. Why do I mention that? Well, their next game is against Virginia. Two four and two teams on our schedule play each other. Um, that's going to be an absolute huge game. Um, it'll be pivotal for our schedule. It'll be pivotal for the ACC, um, and that's one to keep an eye on. Um, Virginia Tech beat Rhode Island. I didn't know Rhode Island had a football team. Thirty-four um, seventeen. The uh, Hokies, Hokies, whatever their name is, they go four and two. Um, Navy, you know, Navy's doing a lot of work for Notre Dame this year. They're 45 and 17 against Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa. Um, they blew them out, um, and they moved to four and one on the season. So Navy's kind of building up a decent resume. You know, if Navy gets to six and one, they might be a ranked team. 
um, and that would look good on the schedule as well. And lastly, Louisville. Who would have thought the Cardinals, the team that had gone like, you know, 0-12 last year almost, um, they beat Wake Forest 62-59. to They're now 4-2 and on the season. Um, I read a stat out there. They're 78% chance likely to be bowl eligible this year, um, which is just phenomenal for Notre Dame. So thank you to all the opponents who did win. Um, for the listeners at home, we have a lot of opponents who are now four and two or five and one or four and one, and that's good. So obviously the losses to Virginia and Georgia hurt, but the opponents elsewhere are doing good. And the more bowl, bowl eligible teams you have on that schedule, the better it looks because not a lot of teams have that many bowl eligible opponents. Um, so that's it for me. Do you have anything on that before I get into just a very quick little talk on the college football playoff? Yeah, so um, Rhode Island, URI, University of Rhode Island, uh, they are a division, What I guess it, what used to be called 1AA, so they're an FCS football team, and basically all of my friends went there. It was maybe 35 minutes from my house growing up, and in the four years that I was in college, I used to visit my friends from time to time. I think that URI won three games in four years. So just to give you uh, some insight into uh, how the how competitive football is up in New England. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so we'll just kind of quickly talk about the playoff because of the Georgia loss reaction. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. So I'd like to outline this to you guys. This is in a tweet that the podcast um, put out. Um, something along the lines of, there are two things that can get an 11 and one Notre Dame into the playoffs. So obviously we have to go 11 and one that's before we even talk about this. So if we go 11 and one negotiable, there are two things that can get us in. Number one is that there are only three other teams who are either 12 and 0 or 11 and one. What this means is that Notre Dame by default is the fourth team. That's possible, right? We could have an SEC team that goes undefeated or goes with one loss we could have um, the Big 12, and then we could have Clemson. And then what we need, we would need the Big 10 to winner to have two losses and the Pac-12 winner to have two losses, which is really possible. That's the best way that we're going to get into the playoff. It's by default. Um, the second way we can get into the playoff, it's much less likely. But if there are numerous 11-1 teams, so an 11-1 Big 12 winner, 11-1 Big 10 winner, 11-1 Pac-12 winner, et cetera, et cetera, um, the best way to get in is to just have a better resume than them. And at this point, without the conference championship game, it looks a little unlikely because the schedule is, we don't know yet. It looks like we'll have a lot of good, um, solid opponents, but not a lot of ranked opponents. Um so that's why we're cheering for Michigan and all these other teams and Southern Cal, because in the event that we don't get number one, which is where there's no other teams, so they have to put us in. If we are in a scenario where there are other 11 and one teams, we need to have the better resume without the conference title. So the Georgia loss hurts that it hurts our number two, our second way in. It really, really does. But it won't matter, like we said, if Georgia goes 12-1 and and wins the SEC. It still looks good. The reason I bring that up is for all we know, Georgia could lose four games the rest of the year. It won't matter if number one still exists. That's what I'm trying to tell everybody out there is why the Georgia loss doesn't matter too much. Our resume can help us get in. But if our resume is already shot, which it isn't yet. Some people say it is. It really, really isn't. But if we get to a point, 
where we have, you know, Michigan's four loss, Georgia's four loss, USC's five loss, and we have nothing. Well, we can still get in with number one, which again is just there's no other teams that are one loss, which is still very possible. It, it requires some luck. We need the Big Ten to cannibalize itself, and we need the SEC to only produce one winner. But that's the scenario. So we could get in with either one at this point, but we only need number one. So when Georgia loses or Michigan loses, it really sucks because it hurts our second way in. But we can still get in regardless. And that's something I that distinction I want to make to everybody that there's two paths. They are different. We want to keep them both open, which is why we're cheering for the opponents. But number one, that's the one we're going to get in. That's still possible regardless of what Georgia does. Regardless of what happens with our opponents, if there are three other 11 and one teams, Notre Dame is in. That's it. So I'll, uh, with that being said, do you have anything else you wanted to talk, touch about regarding the playoff? Not really. I mean, we've, we've gone into the detail of it. We know it's a a week to week evolving thing. Um, I, I guess the only Actually, wait. You know, this is this is an upcoming segment because we are picking games. So forget what I was about to say, and I'm going to let you continue, my friend. Fair enough. Uh, keep your head on a swivel. Is what I'm saying, guys. The sky isn't falling. Plenty of things going on. And when you have a question about the playoff, come to me. I'm the rainmaker. <laughs> I, I, I keep this <laughs> stuff in my pocket. I have a little bit of OCD, so I have to know it. It just gives me comfort at night. Um, let's move on. We'll go to the predictions, uh, our new segment that we're going to roll with. Last week, I went three and two in the games. Steve, by my calculation and my memory, went four and one. Um, the difference is I took Iowa to win. Uh, Penn State won a close one. So you do have the lead. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five games, and you're going to tell me who you're picking and why. Very, very briefly, though. We don't have to get too much into it. So game number yeah. one. The Florida Gators are five-and-a-half-point favorites. They're going to South Carolina at noon on, I think, Saturday. Who do you got? I don't like that it's noon in Columbia, but uh, what's it, Williams-Trice Stadium? Yeah, I'm still going with Michigan. (laughs) Put cats out of the bag on that one. Um, I'm still going with... Florida here. Uh, I think they're hot. They're rolling. Their defense is ferocious. Their front seven can really get after the quarterback in the games that I've seen. Uh, so the I, and I, from my understanding, South Carolina is very beat up after that Georgia game. So I'm I'm rolling with Florida here. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't lose. And I think South Carolina already expended all their luck last week. Yeah, it's fair enough that you called Florida, Michigan. They only play each other in a bowl game every year. Yeah, <laughs> um, moving the on. Their bowl. Yeah, in the bowl for teams that don't deserve to be in a real bowl. Um, sorry, I, I like Florida. I just hate the other team. Um, Duke going to Virginia, a game we had briefly touched about. Virginia's three-and-a-half-point three favorites. It's a 330 kickoff. Um, it could be for all the marbles in the Coastal, um, both of our, our both teams we play. So who do you got? Uh, hard to think that Jordan oh my God, why can't I just say the right words right now. Uh, hard to think that Virginia would lose at home, but Duke is 
has definitely been a frisky program. This is something at the beginning of the year. Uh, they've they've been building up and consistently eight nine wins over the last couple of years. So they've been able to recruit. They've been able to get some talent. We obviously know those nerds are fucking smart. Uh, so I wouldn't put it past them to make it a game, uh, potentially an overtime game or, or within three, uh, three to four points at the end of the game here. Uh, I still think Virginia has the edge uh, just because they're, I think they're a little bit more battle tested, although you know, Duke did play Alabama, but did they really play them? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think that uh, Virginia does hold a slight edge, but I, honestly, that's a coin flip game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I don't even think I gave you my my team for the first one. I'm picking Florida as well. Um, I think they'll beat South Carolina uh, for basically the same reasons you said. I think Florida's a better team, and South Carolina probably not going to have lightning hit twice for them. Um, in terms of this game, I got Virginia as well. I think it's better for Notre Dame if Virginia wins because Virginia is or was ranked. They're in that ranked area where Duke could be ranked. Um, I just think Virginia is probably the more likely team to finish off the season nine and three or ten and two and be that ranked win. Um, it was also a fifteen point win, and they didn't make us they made us work for it. It wasn't an easy fifteen point win. So I think it'd look better for us if Virginia did win that game. and then we just slap, you know the the life out of Duke when we play them. Um, but ultimately, that will be a good game. I think that could be a coin flip as well. Um, hopefully, Virginia pulls through. But I mean, if Duke wins, it's not bad either because, that just means Duke might win the Coastal, and then we can get a win over Duke. Um, but we've already banked that win on UVA, um, so I'd like to keep it that way. Um, third game, we're going to the Pac-12. Oregon, uh, three-point favorites at Washington. 3.30 kickoff. Who do you got? And the, all these times are Eastern, by the way. Favorites at Washington is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, Washington has been able to build up significantly more of a defense uh, than than Oregon in my mind. Um, when I think Oregon, I just think flashy spread offense and try to win games like 56 to 35. Um, so I don't think that their type of, of style is going to work against uh, that Washington front seven. And it is it who, who is the, the quarterback there, former Herbert, Georgia? right? Oregon? No, f- for uh for um yeah Herbert's a hell of a talented player at Oregon but uh, it's for Washington sorry oh I, d- I don't know actually I haven't paid attention to he, the Huskies too much he's a he he's uh, Jacob Eason he he used to be right he could basically got replaced by Jake Fromm at Georgia so that's an SEC quarterback you know that kid's mentally tough um. So uh, I, I think at home Washington's going to edge it out. But again, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if this was a, a tight one. Yeah, I agree, actually. I have Washington in that one as well. Um, beware of the home underdog betting-wise. If you are betting that game, um, that's, a I think, a prime game to maybe take um, Washington to cover there. Um, I think Washington's still a good team. They've lost a, They lost recently, so it might kind of... Um, throw people's perspective on them off, but they're still a very good team. Um, moving on to Arizona State at Utah. Utah's a 13.5-point favorite, 6 p.m. kickoff. I'm sticking with Utah. I still think that they're going to win. Are they in the uh, the Pac-12 north or south? I think south, but I think I'm I not... think they are in the south as well. Uh, and and that's they, they are my pick. 
to to basically win the Pac-12 in its entirety. I think that they're, uh, again, a, a hell of a program that has a great defensive line, and that's been you know, the, the commonality of all the, the winners that I've picked so far, uh, with the exception of maybe Virginia. But, yeah, they uh, they have a great front seven. That's why I think I'm going with Utah. I don't see a reason that they're going to probably lose the rest of the year. Same. I got the same game there. This is getting a little strange, but uh, we're seeing it. <laughs> we're seeing it the same. Um, Utah's uh, a really good team. I think Arizona State may have fluked into their ranking right now at 17. Um, but, yeah, well, let's move on to the big one, obviously, uh, Michigan at Penn State. Uh, Penn State's eight eight and a half point favorites, 730 kickoff. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm just trying to speak this into existence, uh, and and it pains me to say that I want the M word, uh, that the the Big Ten team up north to to win, um, but uh, I have no basis of saying this. I, I don't think that they're the better team outright. I think it's a very even matchup, um, but I'm just speaking it into existence just because it will help us in the long run. So uh, hopefully the uh, the M word team wins, and but also hopefully they get not seriously injured, but maybe just a little bit banged up in the process. Yeah, I think um, I think that would help a lot. We talked about the second scenario where Notre Dame gets in just on resume over eleven and ones. Well, Michigan winning the Big Ten would do that. We would actually have a resume then. That we could compare with an eleven and one Oklahoma or something, um, or twelve and one Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I looked back at history here a little bit, um, and it's kind of interesting what's happened in twenty eighteen in Ann Arbor. Michigan blew out Penn State forty two seven. In twenty seventeen, uh, in wherever they play in Penn State, um, Beaver Stadium, it, the, yeah. Um, Penn State blew Michigan out 42-13. Then in 2016, back in Ann Arbor, Michigan blew out Penn State 49-10. The first time the road team won, or in recent history, was 2015. Michigan beat Penn State 28-16. I think, unfortunately, this might be a blowout. Um, If Wisconsin could put up 35 on Michigan's elite defense, I'm a little concerned. I also don't think Penn State is that great, though. I think the Iowa game... I don't think Iowa's good, so the fact that I think Iowa played Penn State tight probably suggests to me that Penn State's a little overranked, but it, Michigan also beat Iowa tight, so I think these are two equal teams, um, but it's a it's kind of a rivalry game. It's not really, but it's in the Big Ten. They're both competitors for the Big, uh, the Big Ten East. I think Penn State wins, and that's where we'll differ, um, but... I think it's going to be a good week of college football. We have a lot of ranked games. Um, I will definitely be trying to watch Michigan-Penn State. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. We had one last little thing we wanted to introduce to uh, to the show, um, a game we're going to call Who Do You Hate More, where we ask each other two teams, and uh, you pick which of the two teams you hate more. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so I have two teams I'm going to ask you, uh, which ones do you hate more? Uh, and two teams that we have played historically in big, big bowl games. Two teams Ooh. that are, uh, I, in, I was about to say not in our conference. That's very abundantly clear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who do you hate more, Ohio State or LSU? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Um, let's see here. I'm going to say I hate Ohio State more. Um, the reason being is that Ohio State sucks. Um, not that they actually suck. They're a really good program, but I, I don't love them. They're like kind of the enemy of my enemies, my friend type deal, but I, I still don't like Ohio State. We don't have a good history against them. I think we have a losing record. Um, obviously, they're a blue blood, um, a big blue blood, and big blue bloods tend to compete historically against each other. Um, Ohio State's just kind of, they kind of got that scumminess about them too, right? The school where academics aren't super important, where a lot of uh, scandals tend to happen, Urban Meyer, et cetera, et cetera. I don't absolutely loathe Ohio State like some people. Um, I definitely cheer for them against Michigan every year. Um, but I, I would say hate them more. I don't really hate LSU. I think LSU kind of fell off the face of the earth after Nick Saban left and that 2011 championship game where they lose to Alabama. Um, they didn't, or at least by face of the earth, I mean they haven't been competing as much um, as they used to. The SEC's kind of cooled down a little bit, so my hatred for the conference as a whole has simmered. Um, but I don't really hate LSU at all. They're a team that I, I would hope could do some damage in the SEC for us. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd take the Buckeyes there. I would agree. Um, I think it, Ohio State is easily in my top five, probably my number third least liked program, um, I, at least our number one non-rival. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I despise Ohio State with the fiery passion. That sounded really cool because it the audio kind of doomed out there and got a little slow, so it sounded real evil. I like it. <laughs> um, my question for you is two teams that we have historically played a lot, and they're two teams that are technically our rivals, but I don't really think many Notre Dame fans consider it mutual. Um, do you Who do you hate more, Boston College or Purdue? Ooh, that's a good one. Um... Hmm. I, I'd say I, I hate playing Boston College more because I feel like they always tend to give us a really tight game, uh, especially in recent history. But in terms of pure hatred, uh, I guess, uh, if, if we're choosing one over the other, I think I'm going with Purdue. I can remember back into the... Um, the early to mid two uh, thousands, uh, when again when I was first becoming a fan, you know, they were still a relevant program at that point. You know, players like Ryan Kerrigan come uh, come to mind. Um, so they were still pretty good. They were like an eight, seven, eight, nine win football team with relative consistency, and they always played us pretty hard. And I don't know, just something always rubbed me the wrong way again about them. Again, they are technically a rival. Is that do we play for the Jewel Shillelagh against them? No, we play for another. I think is that the regular Shillelagh? We play. We have a Jewel Shillelagh USC, and then we have a regular Shillelagh, and I think that's Purdue because I thought Michigan it was State the inverse, is, but you're probably correct. You know, the jeweled one is definitely USC because they put um, emeralds for Irish wins and rubies for makes Trojan sense. Wins. Yes, yeah. So I think the Purdue one's just the shillelagh. But honestly, I think Purdue is irrelevant. I don't get anything about them. So uh, they're two teams I don't really hate personally, but I thought they were kind of evenly matched in terms of they are a rival. We've played them a lot. Plus Boston College, you know, is in the Northeast where you are. 
Um, but yeah, you guys let us at home, let us know who you hate more, uh, Boston College or Purdue, and then Ohio State or LSU. Uh, as long with the games, uh, the predictions for this week, um, you guys can play along. We'd love to interact with you. Um, but I think that's pretty much going to do it for this week, this bye week, as we just impatiently wait for Ichigan, um, which will be a 7.30 mm. kickoff uh, in Ann Arbor, the big house. They always save their night games for Notre Dame. Um, do you have anything to say before we uh, hang this one up? Not really. I think we covered in great t- detail a lot of uh, a lot of great information. Um, you know, fuck USC. We beat them. They're in the past, and uh, they're in the rear view. So now we just got to focus on the future. And obviously, next week during bye week, we're going to go uh, significantly more into depth about our upcoming matchup. So I, it it pains me to say go Michigan. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, go Michigan this weekend. But that's what we should all be rooting for, just on resume alone. And uh, that's all the thoughts that I had for today. How about yourself? I, I think that's pretty much it. Um, you guys should really tune into next week because I have a special hatred for Michigan, and uh, we have some special things planned. Actually, um, it's an opening you're not going to want to miss. Uh, it's it's a, it's Michigan week, right? It's it's one that you'll want to listen to. Um, we're going to get really hyped up for that one. We'll recap pretty much nothing because the bye week is pretty boring so we'll have a lot of time to put into our hatred for michigan um and give us a follow on twitter we're at horseman pod um, we're growing we can't thank you guys enough for joining us for the season uh we do have an instagram account uh steve do you want to let them know about that uh yep same same handles everything at, at horseman pod so do follow us on instagram i still have a lot of way to go in terms of building that uh instagram is a little bit more difficult uh in in terms of picking up some steam so if you guys could uh could share tag anybody i'll i'll definitely especially on on you know the closer we get to saturdays i'll pick up the posting in in that account so follow along uh interact with us instagram twitter dms however you want to connect with us we're always happy to to go forward with fan engagement and we love you guys Absolutely. Well said. I don't even think I could say it better. Let's just end her right there. Um, Go Irish. Beat the bye week.